Subprime Directive. A Federation protocol stating, all Starfleet logs are subject to analysis, comparison, praise, and judgment. The following recordings are of senior officers exercising their duty to enforce the Subprime Directive. Today's topic, Voyager, Season 1, Episode 3, Parallax. Stardate 74406.4. Senior officers, please identify yourselves. My name is Nolan, and I don't understand what anyone's function on this ship is. My name is Blair. I am last officer, Cam. And I'm Dustin, and I'm here to cause Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> We've been canceled. Uh, are already canceled. Okay, so the tradition we're starting here with our first episode is that whoever picked it gets to cold read a synopsis from someone else that they have not seen before. I picked this episode, and here is Nolan's synopsis of Parallax. The Voyager is lost. In space! The crew's new half-Klingon member almost murders a white man while an alien menace and his child bride interrupt a senior officer's meeting to talk about omelets and growing food for omelets. Um, and then TNG-like stuff happens, and then T and J bond over subspace harmonics. All right. Who are, TN, who are T and J in that, Nolan? Oh, uh, t- uh, wait, it should be B and J. Did I write T and J? Well, no, it's Tor. Okay, no, I can correct this. It's Torres and Janeway. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So this episode is really about Torres and Janeway, like, fighting over their dominance and then realizing they don't have to fight, right? Um, No, no? this episode is about a quantum <laughs> singularity that the Voyager gets pulled into and they have quite the time getting her out. Did the temporal equivalent of like a bird crashing into a window. <laughs> <laughs> there the the techno babble in 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 the pilot and then this first episode are off the charts. I mean, I know that's kind of like Star Trek's MO generally, but it is insane for these first two episodes. And uh, you know, whatever. If there's a problem, it's uh it's quantum if there's well, the, a plot hole, it's it's quantum again. the The problem is they take sometimes they take the the analogies too far. Like in this one, uh, Belana is like, "Oh, it, it's just like a pawn." Like, and then they continue on that analogy, and it's like, "Okay, I understand you're trying to illustrate this for people and for the audience, but there's no way that temporal mechanics is going to operate in the exact same physical way that a pawn does." Like, <laughs> no, it's just a pawn in space. <laughs> they keep going with it. She keeps talking about it. that whole fucking part scrambled my brains. And I wasn't sure if I was stupid or if that just made no fucking sense. And my suspicion is it made no sense. I think it was funny because at the end of it all, like the only person on this ship of super geniuses was just one person being like, guys, it's a mirror. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, understood, understood it too. She understands all the engineering. And Janeway understood it better because my favorite scene in the episode is the, the one at the very end that felt very TNG like where where they're debating which Voyager to go to. And and um Belana is like so sure it's the other one cuz she's like they're closer to the wormhole it's, or they're closer to the like the 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 rupture it's got to be them. And Janeway is basically like just 
pulls some real big Captain Dick energy out, and it's just like, no, 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 no. Well, like, that's what I was gonna say. That's why I like, like this. Like, that's why I really like. You know, I think they make the techno babble kind of work. Yeah. Because you know, it's a biz- it's kind of a bizarre analogy, but once they set it up, they use the logic of that. Like they they clearly have like some logic in mind. You know, because they figure out, it's like, okay, well, we've been seeing the reflection the whole time. We've been seeing it on a time delay this whole time, you know, for the whole episode. And then they use that to figure out the right one. I also like they made up the, like, when they're in the ready room at the beginning, they make up the word at, like, they need a new astrogation plotter. Oh, yeah. That is unnecessary. It's just navigation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's still navigation in space. It's not astrogation. Have they ever done this before? Has this been in any of the other, like, this... I, I know. I mean, there's the TNG episode where they keep repeating time. Oh, cause over and effect. And over. That is such a good episode. Um, I think that this. I think that the writers were like, we need to make a cause and effect level episode, and a writer was like, well, let's just rip off cause and effect, but 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 add a side plot about power struggles that are political. Well, I mean, I guess to to go to my earlier point uh, in my introduction, um, can can somebody here please tell me what everybody's position is because. The show does not because okay when Kim and and Tom Paris come on in the pilot, you they they are meant to feel like they're ensigns, like they're like cadets, like they're at the very bottom of the of the barrel. But then Kim is like a senior officer, right? Well, I mean, I, he gets invited to their meetings, he, and he and he's on the bridge, die, and that's why. Oh, he, that's true. Um, Paris is is I think more based on the fact that the writers of Voyager tried really hard to make Tom Paris the main character in the opening pilot. Oh yeah, they did. In the in the pilot, Janeway is like, "Oh, you used to be Maquis. Can you come on my ship and help me track down these dirty Maquis?" I Tom want to is like, shit. Tom Paris is like, "I guess I'll do that." I have a lot to say about yeah. Anything better than this like kibbutz that I'm living on? <laughs> he comes off as so unlikable in the pilot too. Him and Neelix both. Yeah, way too corn fed. Way too corn fed. That's the word unbearable i mean they're terrible uh, tom paris says so many racist things to chakotay in like a 10 minute span he yells like what do indians do when he's in the middle of trying to save his life and and then also says can't you turn into a bird and <laughs> also and the very first thing fucking awesome. tom paris does is like sniff yeah. a, uh, the beta z's hair and be like oh my god he harasses her <laughs> he literally like, says like don't yeah, you want to fuck me that's some hr <laughs> yeah. shit wait nobody answered my question what's everybody's Oh, okay. Position. So Tom Paris, one of the last things that happens in the pilot is Tom Paris is promoted to lieutenant by Janeway. So so she's like, I'm going to, when we get back, I'm going to erase your record, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She enters a note into the logs as if anybody gives a shit they're in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> and, and since Tuvok is the only um bridge between maquis and federation he's immediately security officer because he's the only one that's going to be able to communicate between the two one of the first conversations on one of the only tuvok moments that really happen is him telling chakotay he's going to report him and use starfleet po- protocol and chakotay's like how dare you but he's pulling rank two, so it's it's like chakotay is so confused about what his loyalty is that chakotay wa- is yeah <laughs> A bit all over the place in this first episode. I'm Maquis, but I also want to just, you know, copy paste everything that Starfleet into Maquis. What is Kim? That's Kim... the Wesley Crusher role. Yeah. It's Wesley Crusher there. Kim is ops. He's head of ops, technically. Okay, and then Chakotay's second officer. Um, and then Neelix is, quite comically, 
the cook well he want, he, tr- he tries when he interrupts her their officer meeting he tries to get a like like a rank essentially he wants to be like an actual officer and then i guess i guess balana by the end of this episode is head of engineering i also think it's really funny that kez becomes like a a, this is way down the road but kez becomes a like apprentice doctor and she only lives nine years it's like could you make if you're on that 60 year journey maybe you could have chosen someone who will live through some of that how could he have okay here's my question yeah they lived nine years she escaped what like a year ago they say or something how did neelix know her how did he meet her neelix and kes are a classic elder man grooming a young woman thing watch the the writers have a major blind spot with uh not being perverts Oh, they always do, no matter what. Even now in Star Trek, even in Discovery and shit, it's it's always gonna be there. But okay, so oh, sure. so we'll talk about that in this timestamp. Um, this is this timestamp is Neelix explaining this anomaly event. Her explaining Event Horizon to Kess. Event Horizon. A singularity is a star that's collapsed in on itself. The Event Horizon is a very powerful energy field surrounding it. Why, at once on a particularly dangerous trade mission to the twin stars of Kaloda, I myself was almost trapped inside. No response to our hail, Captain. (laughs) (laughs) The way he puts his hand over her neck and leads her in a direction is how, like, how an American soldier in Vietnam would lead a captive Viet Cong (laughs) to their cage. It was bone chilling. He also does a bad job of describing an event horizon. It's about the control, not the accuracy. <laughs> I miss Quirk, honestly. That's my biggest like whenever whenever I see Neelix on the screen, I'm just like, God, Quirk is so much better in every way. Neelix is just this nightmare that they invited on their ship for some reason. Like No, that they agreed to let. They never invited uh, Oh, that's the, true. He invited the very, himself. The very end of the pilot is is him and Kess saying Can we stay? The, the pilot when I when I watched it the first time a few a year or so ago, and and then this episode I had a fairly dim opinion of both of them. Um, but going back and rewatching it, I actually really enjoyed this episode a lot, and I have an even dimmer opinion of the pilot. Um, <laughs> In the pilot, the bathtub scene is disgusting. Oh yeah, let's just talk about it. Let's just get that I out have of the to way. Yeah, sorry. let's just talk about it. Sorry, I know we're it's going to come about- up. <laughs> no, it's talking. gonna come up. Let's talk about it. And to immerse myself in water. Oh, do you know what joy this is? <clears throat> no one around here wastes water in this manner. Good sand scrub. That's the best that we can hope for. <laughs> I'm pleased you're enjoying yourself, but we're in orbit of the fifth planet. We need your assistance. It is just absolutely revolting. And like Tuvok is very he, he does a great job by the way no he, he does, he does. He's, he's like very viscerally disgusted by Neelix being like basically a, i don't know a uh a garbage uh like dry one. boy <laughs> <laughs> and uh i understand very very well that like okay this is a creature that lives in space yeah, we don't know anything about him, though. We just find him on a junk ship. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the assumption is that water's hard to find, so it's precious. But, like, the way he celebrated it was absolutely revolting to me. It was just, ugh. 
Also, how how is water hard to find? Like on one planet, but Neelix well, has a spaceship. Well, no, it's the caretaker's fault. Remember when the caretaker showed up? They their chemical composition accidentally destroyed the atmosphere of the yeah, Ocampa. But, and, but Neel- and... Neelix has a ship. What does it matter? So does the Kazon. <laughs> That's what yeah, I'm saying. What is that the the, impl- the implication of the caretaker is that all that was left was the Ocampa to take care of because they accidentally destroyed everything else. And so he went to Kazon Ocampa planet to seek out anything that is living. And so he <laughs> So that's why he thinks he has a good relationship with the Kazon cuz he goes there to try to trade with them and then he finds an Okampa and he's like, "Oh, this is a pretty little white girl. I'm going to grow." Oh, her. yeah. Um, <laughs> how do the Kazon have ships? They're garbage people. How the fuck do they have ships that are good enough that they can go up against Voyager, which they tell us in the pilot is like a premier warship of the Federation? How does Ricky's car still work in Trailer Park Boys? I mean, Oh, that's fine. No, I can't believe that. He takes just good enough care of it. <laughs> he takes just good enough care of it that it's still functioning. That's what the Kazon do with spaceships. <laughs> yeah, but they have to build. But Ricky, Ricky was given that. That's Julian's grandma's car. Where did the Kazon get those spaceships? Are those the Kazon grandma's spaceships? Like, but no, I mean, because that's that's what I that to me is kind of the only redeeming thing about like the Kazon arc. I guess is that it's really the only time you have the Federation dealing with you know like they're on the wrong side of attrition. I guess. Oh yeah, because you know it's made very clear. It's like yeah, if they use their torpedoes, they can yeah, they can blow a Kazon fleet out of the sky. It's the fact that there's so many sects and so many trash ships that are always coming at them. Well, I guess can we say then like props to the Dominion because they basically could do what no other power could do because even the Borg don't control all of uh, the Delta Quadrant, but the Dominion literally <laughs> were able to put their foot down on an entire quadrant. To the point, like that, they're unchallenged. They're like a hundred percent, like unchallenged in the in the Gamma Quadrant. Do we need to put Nolan in the DS9 corner? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a good show. I can't wait till we get back there. Um, All right, Nolan, what was your what the fuck moment from this episode? See, I can't do this episode. I have to go back to this tub scene because <laughs> my big, my big, my big what the fuck moment was when Tuvox comes in. Neelix goes. Ah, Mr. Vulcan. Neelix does not know any creature from the Alpha Quadrant. I feel like it was just really lazy writing in that, like, that's such a classic DS9 or, like, TNG line. No, that's that's an OG Trek thing, Mr enter your race name exactly but it doesn't make mr romulan sense in this pilot it doesn't make any sense in the context of this new like quadrant and new aliens you're introducing like that's like what a klingon would say you know like or something like or like what a ferengi would say it doesn't make any sense for a neelix to say it makes absolutely no sense um blair what was your biggest like what the fuck in this episode (laughs) oh i i mean i had a few but like in but in pretty rapid succession, I mean, just we can we talked about it a little bit. The ambassador scene where they just walk in and decide they get a seat at the table of this massive <laughs> military starship. <laughs> <laughs> and Janeway is not as mad as she should be. No, <laughs> she should be furious. I mean, Kess actually has a good idea. Neelix has a bad idea. Like Kess is like, oh, let's convert the storage facilities which which kim says is like already basically ready to go because it's got climate control and like something else and then neelix is like oh i want to be in charge of making omelets can we make that happen can i also be your like navigational guide 
So so if you watch that moment, um, it's pretty early on. I think it's at like the nine or ten minute mark. Neelix says, I can do some amazing things with vegetables. And in the background, <laughs> Tom Paris's face is the most cringing fuck you, I want to kill oh, yeah. you face I've ever seen. And then that is the in for her to be like, all right, you're in you're in this meeting. The tone that he tries to strike as like as like lovable goof, it it's just all wrong. Yeah, like not the, funny one the way time. They pair him with uh, Cass the way that like danger vibes. Danger, like, danger. Yeah, yeah. Like this guy, you know, don't trust this motherfucker. All right, what would y'all do different to introduce Neelix in a modern writing situation here? I wouldn't. I don't know why he's on the show. I don't know why they felt they needed. You know what the crazy thing about Voyager is? They have too many characters in the beginning. Whereas like DS9 and Next Gen, they had their couple of main main characters. And then they had a few like not as main characters who then eventually become a bit more main characters. But like with Voyagers, they they throw like 10 characters at you in the pilot. And then they don't have time for all of them in these episodes. Like they didn't have time for everybody in this first episode. Uh, Do Tuvok and Janeway even talk? In this first episode, do they even have a scene where they Bare- say anything barely. to each other? I don't. I think it's only when they're in Command Central and everything's been shaking, and and it's like, <laughs> tell me your opinion. Yeah, I did have a bigger uh, what the fuck mo- uh, moment a little bit later on, which was um, when the Doctor first reports that there's something wrong. You know, it's a kind of a funny. It's played as a funny scene. The Doctor's shrinking. I'd appreciate it if someone would repair my holographic projectors before I have trouble reaching my patients. I finished my study of the spatial distortions coming from the singularity. It's like that's saying, saying we're in disaster. We have bigger problems in the hospital not having power. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> such a good point. I never thought about. I that. did not think about yeah, that. Yeah, our only medical professional is shrinking into nothing and won't be able. No, to they have cats. People are getting sick, and they have Tom Paris, who are both, I guess, interns in the, in the medical suite. No fucking idea. Which brings us back to why you why do you need Neelix? Because the doctor in this episode is the source of comedy. So it's like, why is Neelix even here? I would have I would have made Neelix reluctant to participate, and I would have made somebody convince Neelix that he can be a real asset. But they brought him in as a pompous fucking asshole on the front end. Just right off the bat, very Jar Jar Binksian. Style, but somehow more unlikely. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think worse than Jar Jar. Because <laughs> at least like 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 you know we we make fun of of Jar Jar, but like you know he's just dealing with the physiology and the culture of being a Gungan. Whereas like what the fuck is Neelix excuse? <laughs> just unlikable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jar Jar is a product of his environment, whereas um, Neelix just created his environment out of boredom and garbage. And garbage. <laughs> Look, okay. So we are talking way too much about a character that is not the fucking focus of this episode. Belana Taurus is really the focus of this episode. And I do think they do a good job after the bullshit soap opera stuff of showing that a powerful Hispanic woman can get shit done. No, half Klingon. <laughs> okay, half Klingon. Oh. <laughs> Roxanne Dawson gets her shit done. She is fantastic in this. Like she is, her and Janeway both are glowing. They are doing. They are bringing all of it to these to this episode. The episode starts with the soap opera trope of 
woman is manic and we can't get her under control. Literally the first shot is this white guy sitting up and yelling, she punched me in the nose. Oh yeah, yeah. They really, yeah, they really, <laughs> well, they, cause they have to make you not feel bad at all when that guy gets blown out of the water for a promotion. <laughs> oh, with that like... in reference, Janeway tells this guy to kill himself. Okay, hold on, let me find the timestamp. Hold on, I'm gonna pull this up. I'm gonna pull yeah, this up for that. you guys. I'm gonna need that timestamp. Cut the engines. We're moving forward again. Engineering, get that tractor beam offline. Captain, I can shut it down, but I'll have to get in there and physically cut the main power feed. Do it. And he just does it. <laughs> that that doofus yeah, also- It was his... very unclear what exactly doing it was. Does Tom Paris actually help them i can't remember does he do He's anything a really useful? good pilot oh yeah because they tell us that all the time that's the saving trope of the white man it started with han solo yeah um, it they the only good one is in firefly um the orville does it it's you get this little like like corn-fed white guy who's kind of scrawny and then you assume he either has a really big dick or a really small dick and he just loves driving ships. <laughs> Can I say that next gen and and TS and DS9 for the most part don't do that, right? I, like like Voyager is a little too about the like, oh, this person is the best at this field you've ever seen. Tom Paris is the best pilot, and uh, Bellana is the best engineer, and Neelix is the most disgusting human <laughs> in existence. Um, well, yeah, TNG sort of yeah. makes sense. It's the flagship, and they make a real. Exactly that. that you want like like uh, want to bring that scene up. <laughs> oh, Paris being the fucking worst. Like. You know, I was gonna talk about that where it's like, oh, he's the best pilot. One of my favorite scenes of the episode was like, you need your best pilot on this. Well, this is a blonde episode, so no, you don't get to yeah. go. <laughs> we'll have to take a shuttlecraft. You'll need the best pilot you've got in that shuttle, Captain. That'll be me. Getting there is the easy part, Mister Paris. We need someone who's familiar with the finer points of temporal mechanics. And unless you've been hiding your credentials, I don't think that's you. Balana, you're with me. All they do is, like, go out in the runabout. Well, this goes into a, 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 a Trek trope that I think is always prevalent no matter what, is that on the most sensitive missions, they send the fucking captain and the best oh, yeah. person to run the ship because they know if they fail, that ship's dead anyway. And for me, it's hilarious whenever that happens because uh, whenever Picard or Cisco or anyone's like, oh, no, this is my mission. Everyone else in their head, they're like, we're fucked. Like, <laughs> if the captain can't even trust their most trained officer, like if they don't succeed, we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> it gives you though that really good scene um in booby trap i think or whatever where picard like just like pushes the enterprise like he he just like kind of like like does this really cool like maneuver where he just like slingshots off like like an asteroid's gravity or something um and it like that's like was a very well deserved like okay there's a reason this man is number one you know like i mean although i guess in this episode janeway is does a pretty good job of illustrating why she's captain she's very magnetic and charismatic in this episode and very like because yeah you don't get anything of her in the pilot really except that her dog had puppies yeah in this episode you get hot daddy energy from her and i'm all about oh yeah and balana too balana is just like she is just like on top of it oh there's a line from uh janeway in the in the pilot that i had to write down that was 
you never bother me except the way I like to be bothered. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then she and then she tells Ensign Kim, I think. I think it's Kim or someone else, but she's like, don't call me ma'am unless it's in a crunch. When Dax is captain of the Defiant, they call her sir. And O'Brien is like, oh, it's always it's Starfleet custom or something to, to always call like the captain sir or something, which is just like, really? Like y'all couldn't even buck that shit in like the 24th century? <laughs> like, still that's like, trying to shake it. <laughs> It's that the, okay. The two things that I hate most about Star Trek is that, and then whenever they try to revive nineteenth-century Navy, like things, like I get it if it's Picard. Like I get if Picard is like, oh, I, I love. Why is he the exception though? Well, could, no, like if he personally, if Picard personally is like, I love Man of Wars, I love eighteenth-century Napoleonic, I love Horatio. But the fact that like Starfleet itself models their uniforms off of like eighteenth-century sailor, like what does that mean to like um? Uh, what are the blue guys called? Not the Andorians, but the uh, Bolians. No, the Bolians. Oh, the Bolians. Yeah, the Barbers. Yeah, if you're like a Bolian <laughs> in Starfleet, like, what does this mean? This is like nonsense to you. It's like, why, why are we wearing... You might as well wear Klingon uniforms. It's like, why are we wearing this like uniform that's modeled after Earth's 18th century fucking wooden ships like when they were committing colonial horrors across the globe <laughs> like, like why the airline pilots model themselves off the same uniform that's true but but earth had a nuclear war though i can't stress that enough by the time we meet any of these characters earth has been ravaged by nuclear apocalypse um th- this rolls into uh the idea of how nuclear winter on earth created a nostalgia period of rebuilding. So that was the thing to just hang on to was naval. Like we're 70% water. We learned how to make ships float. We learned how to make spaceships float. So it's like naval identification is the only thing that starship captains have to tie themselves to like their historical roots. Honestly, give me the Klingons any day because like they're majoritively <laughs> a ground force and then they just are they just are in space like which I I appreciate mu- like much more um I mean yeah, I get. I mean, okay, well then how do the who is building the ships for the the Kazon? Oh, like, they're not building them. They're just repairing earlier. them. They're just re- fixing up shit they've had for hundreds of years probably. By the end of it, I think they're mostly spacefaring. And like that's kind of probably why their ships are so big. But okay, these motherfuckers still can't find water. Or was it just Jaden? Yeah, that's a good point. It also might have just been that tribe because you know you got to figure like with so many sect sects, they'd be you know it'd be dangerous for them yeah. to make water runs. You know, I have a news flash um, from my research just now that is very disappointing. Kazam was definitely invented by Voyager writers. And they were an analogy to Los Angeles gangs of Crips and Bloods. Oh, God. Jesus. Also, this is 95. This is three years after the L.A. riots. Uh, 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 Voyager writer Jerry Taylor drafted them as three gangs with constantly shifting relationships and allegiances. Just as we think we have sorted it out, the balance shifts again. Awful, awful. And it's even worse because they literally are trash people. They like literally have trash in their hair. <laughs> like That sucks. That's so bad. Here's the thing. In the original fucking pilot draft for Caretaker, Taylor wrote them as Crips in the script. Oh, God. What? 
Yeah, the 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 Cholians. <laughs> <laughs> they meet Neelix and they're just like, "What? What is the species?" And Neelix is like, "They are called the hip hop thugs, and it is cu- it is customary for them to wear their pants around their ankles." <laughs> just like Jesus Christ. I feel like this whole like the era in which it was written was like very peak neoliberalism the federation got kind of co-opted into being like just maybe a un style nato or like nato like yeah like a nato style force which is so weird um and not good but i feel like that explains for me what uh they are throughout all of voyager just like and i'll get to my i'll get to my clintonite theories this is 95 so you're right this is like this is middle of the like of the third way clintonite neoliberal like kind of like yeah. utopian dream Machir, serbia yeah or kosovo like yeah well, i actually generally liked in this episode that they're like they're setting up it's it, you know there is a jet there is a genuine impasse you know uh when jane wayne should go there you know kind of debating over how the crew should be uh you know integrated yeah it's like there is a real conflict and no one neither of them really get the better of each other. It's like, yeah, I mean, these people know how to function on the Starfleet crew on this ship. It's like, yeah, but if you look at it that way, we'll always just be the workers for you. You know, like we'll always just be serving Federation commanders, which is, you know, which is not how which is not going to be sustainable. But then Janeway also is right too, in that she's like, Well, how the how the heck do you tell these people who have spent like 10 years of their life, like, like climbing the ranks, how do you tell them that like, actually this Maquis person is going to get the position instead of you? I think it's a shame that Voyager kind of gave, like gave up on that pretty quickly. No, they smashed out the, um, descent from Maquis really quick. Right. Is that what you're saying, Blair? Yeah. yeah, But Tuvok takes him to boot camp, and then it's like, that's kind of the end. (laughs) So in the episode, um, at about the 29 minute mark, um, we get the approving father moment. They finish meeting about stuff, and Janeway finally realizes that Taurus is correct, and that Taurus is her girl. And as they're all walking out of the room, Janeway looks at Chakotay and gives the approving father head nod, saying, Balana is useful to me. Janeway is like, do I want to work with a strong Latinx woman? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the one of the funnier parts is at about 32 and a half minutes, they both say warp particles together as if they're in parent trap or something. I would make it show up on our sensors. Warp particles. And then it's like, <laughs> warp particles. And there were a couple points in this episode that I laughed out loud and not in, not in a way that maybe the writers were intending. That's where we also get to see Captain Janeway doing her signature thing, which was like, I already thought of this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're on the same page. It seems like the spatial distortions might be interfering with the projector's phase alignment. That was my guess, too. Neelix comes in, he's like, I want to be be the ship's cook. And she's like, you and me are on the same page, Mr. Neelix. (laughs) I also like when uh, when Janeway says... You know, like, at the end of the episode, it was, it's right after the, you know, the, the approving parent moment. It's like, you know, can I ask you something off the record? And yeah, it's like, would you have served under me if our situation was, re- was reversed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's basically like, I would have shot you dead. <laughs> she literally pleads the fifth. She's like, well, I don't have to give my answer. <laughs> okay. Is this episode a budget thing? Because they don't. 
do any like filming this must have been pretty easy they don't ever leave any of the main sets i think they spent their whole budget on that quantum anomaly that looks like a actual stressed out b-hole can we talk about that oh yeah i wasn't gonna say it but it looked it looked it was breathing and puckering can our medical professionals here confirm that that looked like the stressed out b-hole <laughs> black and blue <laughs> Put her yeah, yeah, well, they have to tear tear through the fissure that was already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you all think a quantum singularity is so funny. Just wait till you're on the event horizon. <laughs> um, one other thing to talk about. Um, I think this episode truly establishes the uniqueness of the Doctor. So Kez shows up into the into the um, sick bay, and is just like. You're sensitive, aren't you? And he's just like, what? I should think so. I am all doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I liked a lot the scene where she came in and she was just like, doctor, you see a turtle laying on its back. What do you do? <laughs> she keeps giving him all these things to make him actually like connect AI neurons. And that's why he's so mad he's getting smaller the whole episode. Because there's a lot of times that Kez teaches him shit and other people, and they're like, why do you know that four-year-old baby? Yeah. <laughs> well, I also love that it's like, at this point, at this point, in the, you know, especially early on, like, the crew have no reason to think that, like, Kes isn't just, you know, kind of simple and talking to the Alexa like a person. I mean, she is. You know, like, like, she's the doctor is sentient. Like, <laughs> the is sentient. But, like, they have no reason to think that. It's like, oh, yeah, no, she's just gotten really attached to the Roomba. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Kess actually isn't even nine. Nine is the lifespan. Kess is probably, like, what, yeah, four? Yeah, that's when she, she blows up at nine. <laughs> she's one or two. What? That's not true. I thought there was an episode not that far in where she she's turning three and like, you don't look at it. Like, oh it's some joke God. about Kess was born in 2369. What year does this episode take place again? Um, let's see. Kess's birthday is celebrated in season one, episode Twisted. And since the episode takes place in 2371, that means she's three. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. She's two. Sorry. That means she's Jeez. two. By the episode Twisted, she's two. Oh, my God. The age of consent in space. Yo, Okamba are good to go at like five don't, months. Like, Don't talk to those those dry boys that come from the land of fucking Neelix. Well, can I just add a point that if I were uh, Amazon and, you know, they censor their sh- shows and movies, I would absolutely censor the end of this episode where is it Tom Perez is just like voyage or Janeway says that absolutely stupid thing about like, like, Oh, I learned sometimes you just got to punch your way out. And then Tom Paris like looks at her and it's just like, punch your way out. I'm going to have to use that. And it's like, what? We <laughs> call Tom Paris, Tom Perez, <laughs> Tom, Tom wait, wait. Perez. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go fast. We're going to go faster than any ship has ever gone before. Gonna win so many elections in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> All right, the last. The, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about um, is: Are there any parallels y'all saw about what the fuck's going on in American politics right now that are still relevant, even though they did it in 1995? Honestly, I'm gonna say no because that 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 like neoliberal like two sides can come together. Yeah, it's way too strong. 
I mean, like Hollywood execs and screenwriters literally think they can do anything in the 90s. Like the Maquis struggle is a big part of the pilot and it's a big part of this episode. And there's and nothing. They don't do anything with it. It, this is a huge part of the show, and they don't do anything with it. We don't even know why Bellana in these first two episodes was a Maquis, except that she didn't get along at Starfleet. That she, like, flunked out. That was her only... Yeah, okay. So the only other option were join the Maquis? Like... <laughs> you should wash up, become a resistance fighter. <laughs> yeah. I do have an, an Elizabeth Warren tie-in for Boyd. <laughs> this is just from the, uh, this is from the Wikipedia... In, uh, in developing Chicote, the producers sought the assistance of Jamake Highwater, a writer of more than 25 books of both fiction and nonfiction related to Native American myths and traditions. Highwater was a controversial choice of advisor, having been exposed by Hank Adams and Vine Deloria Jr. as taking a fake Native American ancestry to sell books. Oh my <laughs> god. Boy, they're two for two on bad racist shit in this episode. But yeah, no, the person who did all of their, like, the person who like was their consultant was just yeah fake. Also, he the actor I'm looking the actor himself is Mexican American, which I gotta say like this is '95. This is like not any better than the shit that Bonanza was doing in the '50s. It's still how it is in Hollywood because I have a friend who got cast in a Netflix series as a Native American and he's Filipino American. Oh my god! And that he is like... gladly took the role and he's fucking awesome in it. But yeah, but that but that shouldn't. I'm sorry, but even if he's happy to do it, that's that's atrocious. It is, but he like, spent years so in Hollywood bad. being represented as the brown guy, you know. And I, you know, I think Beltran he did he is he is a perfect example of saying, hey, here's somebody that looks vaguely like what we want. Let's throw a tattoo on his face and see what happens. Well, here, here's, here's, they also say that he's like Hopi at one point, I think. No, no, I was going to. Here's, the Wikipedia. here's the Wikipedia at the very end. Despite first being named as, as Sue and later as Hopi, which Sue and Hopi, like nothing alike, Chakotay was given no tribal affiliation at the start of the series, something that was later resolved in the episode Tattoo. I mean, we should just say it now. It's the first episode of this. Like, Star Trek's not as progressive as. I think even a lot of us who like it like to give it credit. And I think even like a lot of leftists who really like it, like to give it credit. Like it's not egregious usually in, in, in the way that like 2000s media was, you know, it's not intentionally trying to upset people, but like there are just so many cringe moments in all of these series. Um, including the fact that every captain jokes about Orion slave girls. <laughs> <laughs> or what's the, uh, what's the pleasure planet called? Riza. Yep. We all want to go to the pleasure planet, right? Riza has like the weird thing where we're supposed to hold it in our mind that like, no, no, Riza wants all of this tourism and oh, like, yeah. happy to have it, but also like all of the star, all of Starfleet is vacationing there on this weird sex island. That's <laughs> well, liberal shit. Riza, <laughs> it's a magical place. Yeah, honestly, just let the Klingons have it. Like, just be like, well, no, no, Worf doesn't like it. I guess Klingons don't want to go to Riza. <laughs> no, there's no blood sports on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, as as the person who picked this episode, Voyager is the one that has really captivated me over the years more, and I think the reason is is that at the end of the day, it's a true trek. It is something that tries to incorporate as many unusual encounters, unnecessary challenges 
and personal problems between crew members that you've never seen before and it's all necessary because they have no other choice and that's why i picked voyager that's what i'm telling y'all about voyager is the biggest best microcosm of the american condition of all of star trek that's a hot take and i'm willing to be seared by it voyager is like consistently has some of the best high concept sci-fi premises you know even if they don't always all go off without a hitch you know <laughs> and what, when i'm trying to think of like a weird or awesome star trek plot it's pretty consistently a voyager plot that i come up with it's like oh yeah no it's the species it's the species that are essentially the undead and uh you know that <laughs> they build their species off of the discarded corpses of others or it's like it's a, oh it's the nuclear waste planet it's the you know this is going to be an interesting thing for me because i'm probably the most overtly uh, not as swayed by Voyager. So it'll be interesting to see. And this is going to probably drive some people insane. For me, it's Voyager and, and TOS are the two that I have the hardest time getting into. Mixed bag. <laughs> In my heart, uh, Voyager seems like, and I've said this before, uh, like a neoliberal project. In other words, like it was the big, like it's a consequence of its period. And that period was such a time of like uh, end of history style bullshit that um, like so many liberties were taken with plots and with like character interaction that was based on like essentially tropes from that era. And it, it, it's, uh, it's charming in a weird way for me because it's like, it's very identifiable to me, but um, it's, I'd probably put it third. Uh, TNG DS9 Voyager. 1995 was the peak of current neoliberalism thinking, and uh, we were we were just creating coups all around the fucking world, and 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 we we really loved what we were doing, and and the writers' room was reflecting it. Yeah, it's like, what if we took the World Bank's relationship with like <laughs> developing countries and took that as like. Uh, Starfleet's role in the universe <laughs> and this is also just normal and uh, you know here's a loan so you can industrialize your country uh, <laughs> metaphorically in, instead of loans they give out the um, those giant ass replicators like the industrial replicators <laughs> <laughs> I keep well I guess we're gonna do more Voyager episodes but like um, Kate Mulgrew has such a distinct like voice, like like she, she like Janeway has such a like commanding presence. She has such like a mom voice, like yeah 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 yeah. She's like a, a you know a, a nurse manager. Oh, that's yeah. You know you know those people, Cam, right? You know those nurse managers. I very much do. It's like I'm still stuck in the rules very much, but I can uh, dole out little purses of. Uh, humanity to you when necessary. <laughs> Wait, well, we didn't. Actually, I had one more, one, one quick note uh, going off the medical thing. You know, that's, I thought, uh, you know, the doctor being mad about treat, treating people that aren't, you know, in imminent need of, or in imminent danger of dying was pretty, you know, pretty authentic uh, ER doc. I thought. Oh yeah, yeah. Programming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just think it's funny. You know, it's like the the exasperation of ER staff when you bring in somebody that they don't, you know, Dane is being. <laughs> <laughs> unstable enough for their uh it's like what why'd you wait no but why'd you bring them to an er 
So I think we can conclude that this episode is all over the fucking place. But it definitely establishes what to expect for the rest of Voyager. And for me, all I can say is, the Doctor is shrinking. The Doctor is fucking shrinking, and no one fucking cares. Oh yeah, no, I'll I'll end it actually related to that. I'll uh, end it by reading the synopsis that I wrote for this episode at the start. Voyager chases itself into a Bolana vortex while Ensign Kim ignores a medical catastrophe. <laughs> I guess my my point is uh, goodbye because I have nothing to say. <laughs> I think uh, my favorite scene in the episode was when uh, Janeway she's like she's like, "Hey man, sometimes, man, I'm not kidding, man. Sometimes you gotta you gotta punch your way out." No, I'm not kidding, Jack. <laughs> I was making fun of. Uh, U.S. U.S. President uh, Joseph uh, Bingen, number forty-five, forty-six. Vote for Bingen. <laughs> all right. Got well, yeah. thank you all for listening to our banter, and uh, we'll see you at a new star date. Au revoir. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right, and at this point, we'll just uh, Blair Cam's social security number, <laughs> date of Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at SubprimePod and Instagram at SubprimeDirective. Directive.